Okay, good morning, everyone. Good morning, everybody watching online or listening to the uh, podcast through your uh, podcast app on any of your devices. Snowboard Free Methodist Church is there. I have a fun message uh, message for you today, um, but I'm going to warn you right now. This is one of these messages. Okay. God asks, God says this. His, his main priority in, in this life is relationship, which I'll get to in, in a minute. And, they, and God talks about this. When he adopts us, he says this. Hey, listen, you're coming into my family. One of the big things about how people know you're my kid is that you love people. You got to love people. I'm, I'm your new dad. You got to love people. And that's cool. And I've heard that all my life through, through church here and there. But how about practical ways to do that? And in what situation do I do this or that? And so uh, you know this. This is something I feel God has given me to do is the practical ways of doing it. So having said that, um, I'm going to um, I'm gonna give a practical message today, but this is going to be a challenging message. And I will tell you first and foremost, because my friends and family are sitting here, I do not do this well. <laughs> there is my confession. There's my waiver because you'll be like, oh, he's the hypocrite. And I'll go, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just because he gave it to me to tell you doesn't mean I've mastered this at all. And now that gives me a good opportunity to teach you something. Let's jump right in. So sometimes people use the word convicting, okay? Um, I have a powerful and convicting message today. Well, that's a churchy word for saying this. Um, feel yucky or guilty or I connect with what he's saying and I realize I fall short in that area, okay? So there's conviction. That's a churchy word, conviction. But listen, let me tell you something. Oftentimes, you will mistake conviction for condemnation. And let me give you something quickly to understand the difference. Okay. Conviction is a good thing. It is of God. It's mentioned in the Bible and it's very useful. But let me do this. And if you're taking notes, this is important. How do I recognize conviction? There will be three things that always accompany conviction. Number one, it will be specific. It won't be vague in general. It'll be specifically, oh, I fall into that category. There's an area I need to come up higher in, specific. Number two, it will be gentle. It will always be gentle and loving because that is who God is. It, woman by the well, never yelled at her. Caught in the act of adultery, didn't yell at her. Do you understand? It will be specific, it will be gentle. And number three, <clears throat> there will be a next step. You will not feel just general conviction. You will know and understand through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit in that moment, here's the other option. Do you understand? So like, oh yeah, I'm not, I gotta come up higher than that. I could do this instead. Because Holy Spirit never just goes bad and leaves you there. That, my friends, is the number two thing. That's called condemnation. Uh, and that's the voice I tend to hear more in, in my life. Um, oh man, I do that, I hear. And then I'm like, oh, that stinks. I stink. I'm horrible. See where that goes? It's condemning. I'll never change. Why do I still struggle with this? Any of those. That's not Holy Spirit. That's condemnation. And most likely that's the devil's voice. We have a spiritual enemy. But actually, most likely, it's your own voice who's agreed with that so often that it's become a tune that you don't even recognize anymore. Do you understand that? That's condemnation. I'm condemned. I'm condemned by God. I'm condemned to repeat this. I'm condemned to never change. I'm condemned to never be happy. This is just who I am. Condemnation, and it's a lie from the pit of hell. Conviction will be, ooh, oh, oh, another thing. It's not number four, but there's always hope. 
right in those three too. Specific, right? Not, not crushing and it gives you a way out and you, you've got this glimmer of hope. It's possible. The other, the, the other voice is the enemy, okay? So as we're talking about this, which I know everybody falls into because we're not God, be careful which voice you're, you're hearing, okay? One of them leads to life and growth and being conformed to the image of Christ Jesus, the conviction one. And the other one leads to, I'm just not going to try anymore because why bother? And that's the enemy's tool. Do you understand? That was good. Next time you pay attention, is it specific? Is it, um, you know, gentle? Is it accompanied with the next step? So, okay, relationship is the most important thing to God. Uh, and I always talk about being able to play, play in the sand. And I'm going to use that me metaphor a little bit here. But um, God, what did God do for relationship? Number one, he created us. Um, some people think that God created us because he was lonely. And I, I strongly disagree with that because he had perfect unity in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Perfect submission and unity flowing around in Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And if you ever need to understand it as best you can, go read the shack where they finish each other's sentences, even if they're not in the same room. Because they're one. But you're talking to all three? Like, what? And at times, the Father leads. I can only do what I hear the Father. Right? What I hear from the Father says Jesus. At times, Holy Spirit leads. I was going to go into so-and-so, but Holy Spirit forgive, forbid me, says Paul. And at times, the Lord Jesus leads. Ooh, okay, okay, okay. You need some work on this. Everybody, anybody ever slow dance? Okay. Both partners are equally on that dance floor, aren't they? But at times, one will lead. The two will go in the same place, but one leads. So this Father, Son, Holy Spirit idea you have of who's the boss? No. When you hear Jesus relating to the Father, it's just that the Father was leading at that time. Good? We good? Cool. Cool. Let's go home. Let's go home. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, I'm, I'm just saying that's relationship. He didn't want puppets. He didn't say, look at them. They're scurrying around down there. Look. <laughs> now they're starting to fight each other. It's not like that. God... God had relationship in and of himself, and relationship was important. And uh, I won't get into the tree. We don't need that right now. But we're going to talk about relationship stuff. And I did reference this. I said, we get this limited amount of time to play in the sand, and we all understand that. Every time you lose somebody, you realize, ooh, there, there will be a final breath for me on this earth. But now, I've, even despite the aches and pains and struggles, I'm here, and I'm playing in the sand, and, and, and the sun's on my face, and I have life. And what a precious gift it is. I don't care if you are born into poverty, if you're born into addiction. It doesn't matter. Life is a gift, guys. It doesn't feel like a gift all the time when we lose perspective. But man, if you, and you just feel that sun on your face, you realize I'm alive. I'm alive. And wait, this person's doing life with me? This person? Awesome. Kids, friends, family? Life is here, but relationship is the bookends that determine the value of our lives. You know what I mean? I think a Ted who said that the, the van wouldn't run unless Robin was in it. That was one of the sweetest things I've ever heard in my life. And that was when I first met him, too. The quality of his life changed when she came around. It's about relationship. Get it? No matter what you go through, the, the biggest thing that matters in this life is the relationships you have around you. And one day, they're going to write a final date on your headstone. And what mattered is the dash between the two and who you did it with. Right? That's the truth. So... The shack says life takes a little bit of time and a whole lot of relationship. One of Sharon's favorite quotes is why I'm staring at her. <laughs> I remember it from four years ago when she told me that. But um, So having said that, guys, I want to set the stage for, for a pitfall we can fall into. And again, this is not a condemning things. I want you to see beauty. And I want to... There's no victory without a little bit of struggle. 
We got a guy named David, the greatest king in, in Israel's history. To this day, if you walk up to a Jew in, let's say, New York and say, who's the greatest king, you'd say David. Of course, it doesn't sound like David in their, their, their language, but um, David had gone through a lot of stuff. He was a man pursuing God after his own heart. But David still had stuff flowing down his family lines that were leading him and guiding him. How many people know what you're born into actually can influence you unless you, unless you take control and break it off? If you don't believe me, there's a ton of scriptures in the Old Testament that say that the sons or the inequities, inward sins of the father are visited. And medical science says the same thing. Daddy gave his life to drink. You're going to be bent that way. It's not your destiny, but you're bent that way until you break that curse off you. Stand on your own and break it off your family. We can do it in that office. We do it all the time. It's very important. But having said that, David is following whatever pattern is set for him. And all of a sudden, he's king, and things are going well, and the Bathsheba has come and gone, and he's an older king now. And all of a sudden, his son Absalom raises up and wants to take the throne. He's very duplicitous. A bunch of horrible, dishonoring things, which was punishable by death back in the day, happen where Absalom actually gets a foothold against the kingdom and starts and, and basically kicks David, King David, the great King David, out of the palace and even throws a party on a roof with all of David's concubines, which that's what we'll call it. We'll call it a party. And Joab and those loyal to David chase uh, after him, after Absalom, in this final scene where they finally get, you know, they get, they get ahead of him. And David still says this. He says, Absalom, or uh, Joab, mighty men, he's like, if you find Absalom, my son, be gentle with him. Be gentle with Absalom. And you can imagine Joab going, you mean the one who literally is trying to kill you and everyone you love? Okay. So there's this scene, something out of Lord of the Rings, where they're chasing each other on the horses. And Absalom, who had long, beautiful hair, gets too close in the woods, and his hair gets caught in the tree, and the horse runs. So there he is suspended in the tree by his hair. Now, you got to know the Bible is real because who comes up with that sort of stuff? You know what I mean? They always tell you details. You're like, you, you really included that? Because it's true stuff. Well, guess who comes upon Absalom? The guy who was chasing him was Joab. Was Joab the one? No, that was Caleb, sorry. Joab was a bad dude. And Joab sees him in the tree. And just then, one of the servants of the king says this, Joab, 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 hey, hey, hey. David said to be gentle with Absalom. And Joab's like, yeah, okay. Takes a spear, pow, 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 three in his heart. It's real. This is real life. You're going to come against our king? No mercy. No mercy. I heard something the other day. Somebody said, somebody called me. They said, you're a good man. And I said, I don't really know about that. I don't really truly believe that. And my best friend goes, oh, don't confuse being good with being nice. Sometimes, <laughs> it's worth it. Bill laughed. Just because you're nice doesn't mean you're good. And just because you're good doesn't mean you're always nice. That was the right thing to do to a guy taking down the anointed king of Israel, you cut that dude, you kill him. There are some things go worth going to jail for, and there's some things you stand up and fight for. Standing up in power is not always wrong. Society is lying to you. Anyway, so that's what happens. But then here's the beat of my story. Let's, uh, let's look at, a servant comes to David and says, hey, your, your son's dead. We got him. Yay. And he says this, the king covered his face and cried aloud. Oh, my son, Absalom. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab, the guy I've been talking about, went into the house to the king and said this, today you have humiliated all your men who've just saved your life in the lives of your sons and daughters and the lives of your wives and, you know, the concubines he took from you. You love those who hate you and you hate those who love you. You've made it clear today that the commanders and their men mean nothing to you. I see that you would be pleased if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead. 
Now go and encourage your men, David. I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a man will be left with you by nightfall. This will be worse for you than all the calamities you've come upon you from your youth till now. Number one, and I won't just touch on this, it's important to have people who tell you the truth in life, who listen to the Lord God and will tell you things you don't want to hear. Don't talk to that person. You'll destroy your family. Stop treating this person that way, whatever it is. Put that thing down. You've got a problem, whatever it may be. But we see this. And the point of my thing is this. Um, you love those who hate you and you hate those who love you. And I want to challenge you with something today. This is a pitfall a lot of us can fall into if we're not careful. And God wants us to live life and life to the fullest. But if we're not careful, we'll give our best selves to those of us who don't need it or deserve it and our ugliest to those we love the most. Uh, I feel it too. I'm here. I'm here. I heard it. <laughs> Again, I'm not good at this. You know what I mean, though? Other people get it, and, and that's what's being said here. David's tears, his concern, his anguish for people who didn't love him at all. They weren't loyal to him. They didn't have his best interest in mind. Meanwhile, no visible tears for, for those Absalom had hurt or were threatening uh, all that David loved. And so, again, in, in today's world, why do coworkers get the best version of us? And then we come home and we give the lesser to the people who really love us. It's so easy to do. I know. I know. And again, condemnation or conviction, remember? Well, you know, it's, it's hard. And we all slip right into this, like I said. And I, and I, I'm, I'm not, I, I know I'm not perfect in this one. Um, but one thing I try to say is this. I will not be a man, this first thing, I will not be a man who's married to my job and dates my family. I can't do that. And in this business, business, that could so easily happen. And it does. Because if some of you need me, it happens through this device, and all of a sudden the world goes away, and I care about this marriage that I'm fighting with you for, and all of a sudden my family can go away. Or, or hey, AJ, can you pray with, yeah, yeah, no problem, Alex, Izzy, go, go, go. And that's okay, that's okay, in balance. But, but it's about a heart posture, okay? I, I'm not gonna talk about semantics here, but it's a hard and delicate balance. Well, we gotta go to work. I know we've gotta go to work, I get that. You know, and I'm not going to just talk about work. I, I promise you that. But it's a delicate, hard balance in our lives that will lead us to that point. David wasn't just born this way. Something happened where he ended up there. And that's what I want to examine today. Um, in what ways am I married maybe to something else in dating my family? Because it's not always going to be work. we got a lot of folks who are retired. And so they think they're immune to this. No, it's, no, you're not. Not at all. It can be anything. It could be a hobby. It could be the television the television schedule. It could be the phone. It could be social media to other relationships outside the household. I don't know. The focus here is that the re relationship or that thing over here is first. Anything that asks or gets a huge commitment, covenant, promise, or whatever needs to be checked. Now, there's a reason I keep saying married and dating, and here's why. Married is obligated. It's covenant. It's yes and amen at its default. Follow me. Dating is circumstantial. Dating is this, yes, when it's convenient for me. That's what dating is. And if it changes, then no. Do you get it? I do not respect dating relationships. I, I mean, I get it when you're 17, that's what you're gonna do, but I don't respect it. You know, like when I was, oh, you can vouch for me on this one. Uh, if I'm dating a little Miss Susie Pants, I don't, shouldn't need to be in the family photo. You know what I'm saying? I remember I dated a girl for five years and I went to a wedding and they're like, get in the picture, AJ. I was like, no, no. Yeah, we've been together five years, but I'm not your family, bro. This is still a yeah when it works for the two of us. And guess what? It stopped working. So there's a difference between marriage and dating. And I bring that up because what are we married that always gets a yes? And maybe our family gets a circumstantial yes. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
<laughs> just Bruce. I was looking at you. Do you understand? What I'm... <laughs> oh, he's right there. <laughs> okay, okay. Do you get what I'm saying? That's what I'm saying between marriage and, and covenant. Something that automatically or by default always gets a yes. And the other thing is circumstance by circumstance. So we need to talk about this. Now, I'm not going to go south and say this. Okay, here's a formula. How much you should work, how much you should this, how many hobbies you should have. Should you travel out of state for your hobby? Should you do this, this, how much money? Should... No, 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 no. As with anything else, it starts in your hearts. It's not a semantic or detail issue. How much do I give this? How much do I do that? How much time do I spend on my phone? Now they've got the things where it'll tell you how much time you're spending on your phone. Cool. That's good information to have, but it's here with priority. It's, it's here. Good details. They might help you check your heart, but it's a hard issue. It truly is. Let's, uh, let's look at the next slide. And the reason I say this is, is a hard issue and all that is because um, if you hold to my teaching, you're my disciples. And if you're my disciple, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, I, I always say this, and I've never heard anybody else agree with me on this one, but I believe that's a process. I don't believe the truth sets you free at all. I don't believe it does. I mean, Jesus is the truth and he sets you free, but he's just saying this. Hold to my teaching Oh, comma, you're really my disciples. So in other words, hang in there, right? It's not about do it perfectly, it's hold. Just hold to my teachings. You're hearing a teaching today, don't go no, right? Dig into what I'm talking about in your life, says Jesus, and then you'll know the truth. I'm sharing you truth today that God gave me. And that truth, with you remaining in me, all this works together, and you know what it produces? Freedom. Get it? Information doesn't pr produce freedom. I've said it before, cookies make you fat. Do you not want cookies anymore? It did nothing for you. Get it? Look, oh, really? I just won't eat cookies anymore. The truth did nothing for you. But the truth through Christ and the Holy Spirit inside of us will change us and guide us and lead us, right? That's what we're talking about here with this heart posture. And this is where these things can change. Let me kick it into gear here. Um, okay. What we're seeing in David's life and what we're learning about here is this. It is wise, it is well, it is obedience to God to be purposeful, to set our hearts and minds to loving those who love us and need us the most. Loving them best. That's the truth. Now follow me because a while ago I said something I really enjoyed. I said this. I talked about setting boundaries in your home. You can set boundaries in the home where you're like, we just don't yell in the house. It's out of bounds to yell in the house. We don't, call, we don't name call. These are boundaries. But you know you can set boundaries as well in your own mind, and you can set boundaries and say this, Lord, I'm not going to be ugly or impatient or rude to those closest to me just because they're there, or I'm tired, or just because they're not going anywhere. And here's the thing, that led me to ask this, what are the reasons it's so easy to, to do this? And I'll tell you this, why do we sometimes uh, treat coworkers better than our own families? Um, and then I was poised to ask you this, you ever met someone who they seem like a great person, great guy or whatever, and then you talk to their ex or their kids or people in their family, and they're like, who are you talking about? That's not the version of the person, I, right? That's a symptom of what happens. And you're like, hmm, he seems like a great guy at work. His fourth wife hates him. Like, you know what I mean? And you're like, what, what is going on there? It's exactly what we're talking about. And, 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 here, and the question I ask myself is why, and it's this. It's easier... It's easier because with those in pro close proximity, we often choose safe distance over connection. And that ties in with something I've dealt with before, but we often choose a safe distance with the people in our families over a connection. And the reason I think we do this is this. It's easier to love somebody who's over here. It takes no strength, no risk, no commitment. I see Johnny every day at the office. 
We talk about surface stuff. I'm always nice to him because he's over here. But it's truly brave and truly hard. And honestly, time to play in the sand. Relationships are the bookend. I see now more than ever, I mean, even the last couple of weeks, that the process of actually bringing someone, a spouse, family members, whatever, letting them in close to you is like the main point a lot of times that God is doing. Do you understand that? Like working in someone to get to the point where they can be close to someone and it's the main thesis of that 30 years. You know, yeah. Being conformed to the image of Christ Jesus who shared himself openly and allowed people in and loved them. John was there right on his chest. He knew how to be a good friend. He knew how to love. He was a gentle man full of all power. But the process of learning to love and be loved and know and be known, I can see it's a huge priority for God because there's something in there with intimacy with, with her, with her, allows intimacy here. And I can see that. Does that make sense? This is so hard. And it wasn't hard in the first couple years of your marriage, the infatuation period. But man, when you legged it out and it got long and it got difficult and that person here is just too much to take, do you get it? This is the struggle. This is the battle. It is. Your bank account's okay. The job's doing all right. And you realize, but I'm still struggling with this proximity with having her up in my business, loving her. And I get this. I do. And that's why everybody else gets the best of me. And I come home and she gets the rest of me. I'm tired. Ugh. Wouldn't do that to you. Wouldn't do that to you guys. You wouldn't walk in here and I'd go, I'm tired. Ugh. For some reason, it's okay to do that. You want to know why? Because the struggle of my life is to let someone in close enough to destroy me and, to, and, to, and, and to, to love them and trust them. Get it? And this is not codependency. Fine. You want it? Here it goes. There's three, three uh, shapes of, 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 of relationship forms. There's the H form. We got two people standing up perp perfectly on their own. I'm good. I've got my life, whatever. And they're sort of joined in the middle at an arm's length. Then you've got the uh, A-frame. Yep. You got two, peop two people head to head, relying on each other, codependent, if you will. Sharon has talked about it. Where, boy, if I have a bad day, you better be able to hold me up. But if we both have a bad day, powie, we fall. Get it? That ain't God either. That's not what I'm talking about here. Because that's codependency. You complete me or you're my refuge. It's always going to fail. Never go to, God, go to anything but God for what only God can give you. But there's a third, and it's an M. With the two people like this, leaning toward each other, holding hands in the center. And there's this push and pull. And some days it's that way, and some days it's not. Do you follow that little metaphor? That's just so you can remember. And that's what I'm talking about right here. I'm talking about really focusing in and saying, why do I scream at this person? I wouldn't dr dream of screaming at anybody else. You know, you know what I mean? And the, and the reality is, this is the hardest relationship. I don't know if you were like me, and I don't want to get too personal here, but I kind of thought marriage was like, this is going to be the best thing ever. And it's like, this has been the hardest thing ever, dude. You know, you know what I'm saying? And it's not about her, because anybody else would have. The idea of getting a man and a woman together who inherently are different, society's lying to you, we're different, equal, but different, and saying, you guys, no matter what happens, come what may, draw near to one another and hang on for dear life. And you're like, are you kidding me? Or I'll quote the disciples. Jesus, wouldn't it be better if you just don't get married? 
And he's like, yeah, for, for some people, that would be better. Do you remember me saying that? When he details what marriage really is, or even father-son or whatever it is with these kids, right? Whatever it is, it, Jesus is like, oh, yeah, this is hard. You can't do this without me. And if you do, you'll end up being one person here and a different person here. Challenging. Challenging. I know that. So a helpful thought as we're getting ready to close. This is where I, I help. I hope. I help with this. Um, it's easier, and this is what we understand. Okay, it's, it's hard. Know that. Side note, women, for you. Here's a helpful thought for you to help you love those who love you. Um, and stop competing with other women. Our society has made you guys compete with each other for affection, for beauty, for, I mean, whatever. And then, and then y'all wanted to go into the workforce and compete directly with men. Cool, fair enough, fine. But if you're competing with other women, you're not going to be able to love them well, okay? Really. Well, she's prettier. She's this, this. Stop it. That's what our society has done to women. Our, our Facebook ads, our beauty magazines. Are you this? Are you this? Are you this? Stop. Just stop the comparing. Stop the competing. Don't do it. With family members, mother, daughter, whatever it may be, no more competing. Stop it. Because if you're competing with someone, you're not at the same time able to love them well. And we did this to you. Don't, don't take the guilt on. Society did. We said the prettiest one in the, one in the room gets all the attention. And so what would what, what, we do? We forced y'all to try to be the prettiest one in the room. Let's be honest. And I might be dating myself when I say that. Or the most accomplished. I see that. The woman who's most strongest in the boardroom. Or sometimes, and this will be controversial, love that I'm being recorded, the woman who acts most like a man, is most powerful and commanding, gets the attention and respect. So what do they do? Compete to be that. Stop, 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 stop. stop. You don't have to do that anymore. You got adopted by the king. You're who you are. He, you're wonderfully and fearfully made. Keep your eyes on your own paper, and, and it'll help you love the people around you better. I promise that. The quality of life you have uh, depends on you getting this right. And the thing with David is this, you know, people around him got destroyed. It was all out of whack because this was out of balance. So I want to ask in a different ways. We're getting ready to close. Who's getting the best of you? That's another thing. What and who are getting the best of you? And I know who it should be. And I don't like my answer inside of me. And that's where conviction comes in. I know that. Um, one little example I'll give you from Joyce Meyer. Slapped me in the face one time when, I don't know what I was reading, but Joyce... Does anybody know Joyce Meyer? Notice how she's brutally honest, and I love that about her. Well, her and her husband, David, were um, allowing their daughter and son-in-law or son and daughter-in-law to, to stay at their house for a while. There was renovations. And that can be hard, you know, two families trying to. But she, she, she said it was fine for the first, like, week or two. But she goes, I'll tell you what bothered me the most. They were so yucky, stinking polite to each other. It made me sick, she said. And I'm like, okay. She's like, can you have a blueberry honey? Yes, baby doll. Love you. Thank you. And she's like, bah. She, she goes, she's be like, David, David, give me the ketchup. You know what I mean? She's like, and I was like, wow, that's hilarious. But I realized, why not? Right. Why, why would be, she, she was convicted going, look how polite they are to each other. I'm politer to the cashier at Walmart than I am to my spouse. Thanks. Have a good day. And I grumble at my spouse when I come home. So let me give you practical ideas and wisdom. Maybe the Holy Spirit can bring to your mind uh, and help you implement these things. It's my favorite part of the show. I've got this much left, okay? Number one, you all have a pressure valve. You're built this way. Be aware and be sure not to bring the stuff or the pressure or the junk from the day into our home environment. This is huge. Lots of folks that are having trouble in their marriage. I implement this. Things change right away. 
Um, be careful. If you're walking into your house and you're already at 80% pressure, they're only allowed to give you 20 before you snap. That's not their fault. Why do they only get 20? There's things you can do to depressurize. Anybody think of a hot water heater or something like that with the PSI is cranking? Okay, men. Do something. Take a lap. I had a really short commute coming home from the bank and it almost killed my marriage. Me. Because I come home from the bank, still twisted up. <laughs> I need a longer commute. So take a lap. She'd rather have a peaceful AJ who's five minutes late than a cranked up, turned up, coiled up spring of a Wolverine walking in the house, which has nothing to do with her. Practical application. Watch your pressure valve. Take a lap if necessary. Stay in the car. Finish that song if you enjoy it, whatever it is. Be purposeful about it. Otherwise, you're taking this life and smearing it all over this life. And you're not going to love those who love you. Number two, maximize your commute home. Lots of folks get in the car and it just goes. And it's like, cool, but that can be sanctified time to help you with this. For me, I sometimes get purposeful. There's a playlist or something I know is going to change my mind frame, my state of mind. I don't want to listen to worship right now because I'm angry. I need to listen to worship right now because I'm angry. You get it? I don't want to listen to talk show anymore. Boy, I tell you what, I was into talk radio for a while and I'm like... <laughs> Arr, he's right. Did you hear what the so-and-so did? And, and, and then like if the person doesn't care, what do you mean you don't care? Didn't you hear that? You know what I mean? I'm like, I maybe need to turn talk radio off a little bit like that's helping me love that person who's talking to me and not the person I'm coming home to. Right? That'll go for y'all with the news too. If the news turns you up and you're turning to bark at that person, turn the news off. Is Dan Rather still a guy? Is he still doing things? Dan Rather? Or am I dating myself? Is Walter Cronkite still on TV? <laughs> You know that Lawrence Welk? Like, who? how old are you? Yeah. No, but listen to me. If Dan, if Dan Rather, if what Dan Rather's saying turns me up and I turn around and the rest of my night is ruined, I just loved him better than I loved them. I listened to what he said and was blanked what he said and took it in. Get it? We got to be purposeful. Maximize your commute home. Make it decompression. Acknowledge God in these moments. For me, sometimes I just say this. Oh, Father. That's all I can get out. But, but, but I acknowledge that. I open myself spiritually. And, and, and it, it's either that time is for further stacking the problem or it can be sanctified time. So closing, what have I learned? It's easy to love from a distance and to give the best of us to those who don't need it or deserve it. To love coworkers and others who are here um, better, who are here better than those who are close to us. And it's a trap. And so what are we going to do? Well, first off, we're going to admit that to God and ourselves right now and that we can improve in this area because we all can and we're going to ask Lord to show us practical ways because Jesus is, a, is very much a God of practicality. Don't just have this idea up in here and, and then don't put boots in the ground. There's got to be a day-to-day -day change. So we're going to sing a, a song. We're going to worship and uh, we're going to pray. And uh, we're going to trust that God helps us to do this. Um, it's really our choice. We, we have power in this.